The Under Review presents Terry Horstman with The Call, a podcast on sports and writing. Welcome to season two of With The Call. This is the official Under Review podcast. My name is Terry Horstman. I host the show. I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you if you've already tuned in to the seven episode first season of the show from this fall. Putting this together has been a blast and I am really excited for what we have in store for you all this season. If you want to help support the show, please rate, review, download, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, reviews and ratings really help to grow the show. So if you're able to take a few minutes of your day to give with the call a five-star rating, I will sincerely appreciate you forever. I am hyped for this episode. Joining me today are two under-review all-stars, all-star writers, and just all-star human beings, Jason McCall and Brian Oliu. Jason McCall is the author of A Man Ain't Nothing, Silver, I Can Explain, Dear Hero, Mother Less Child, and Two-Faced God. He is also the co-editor of the anthology It Was Written, Poetry Inspired by Hip Hop. He holds an MFA from the University of Miami, and he is from the great state of Alabama, where he currently teaches at the University of North Alabama. Follow him on Twitter, at JasonMcCall4. Brian Oliu teaches, writes, and fights out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. His publications include three chapbooks and five full-length collections of nonfiction, ranging on topics from Craigslist misconnections to computer viruses, to the arcade game NBA Jam, and much, much more. His newest book of essays, Body Drop, Meditations on Fandom and Pain in Professional Wrestling, Wrestling, is forthcoming in 2021 by University of North Carolina Press. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Oliu, last name spelled O-L-I-U. Brian and Jason are the co-authors of What Shot Did You Ever Take? A poetry collaboration on boxing, masculinity, race, and humanity through the lens of the Rocky film series. That's forthcoming from the Hunger Press. You got, I love the Rocky movies and I cannot wait to get my hands on this. Brian and Jason are also both Alabama guys, so we of course had to touch on the Crimson Tide winning the national championship of the weirdest, probably most unfortunate college football season. Um, talk about 2020, the year in sports and creativity. Uh, what their collaboration was like to work on. And of course, there's a lot of really fun Rocky talk. This was a joy to record, and here it is now, my conversation with Jason McCall and Brian Oliu. Enjoy. This is another exciting episode of the Under, Re Under Review presents Terry Horseman with The Call. I am Terry Horseman. I host this fun variety show of sorts, and I am very excited uh, for this uh, new episode that we uh, first episode in a couple of months and I've got a couple great guests with me um, on the show. Um, Brian Oliu and Jason McCall, I uh, believe both of you, both under review legends pretty much um, by this point. Um, Brian is a 
issue one contributor with his great essay and also a book reviewer for NBA Jam by uh, Rayan Ali, which you can find in issue three. Uh, Jason, um, author of the great essay, My Dad Still Watches the NFL, which you can find in issue two and was also one of our six uh, Pushcart nominees for 2020. Uh, thank you both for uh, taking the time to be here. Yeah, no, good to be here. Awesome. <laughs> Um, so it goes, uh, this is going to be published sometime, you know, um, hopefully during uh, inauguration week with no domestic terrorist attacks happening. We're recording this on Wednesday, January 13th at 6.05 p.m. right now. It's been kind of a busy day in, in the world. Um, we were just chatting a little bit before hitting the record button. Um, the president impeached by the House of Representatives for a second time, the first time ever. And uh, also the second biggest, uh, big blockbuster trade of James Harden's career that uh, really shook up the NBA. Um, what was today like for both of you? And uh, did either of you get anything done? Um, I'll lead off. Um, funny, like I actually did. This was my first day of face-to-face -face classes for the semester. Um, up here in Florence, Alabama, um, we got snow uh, Monday. Oh, wow. And uh, for me, I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, so every snow day is still a little bit weird and magical, and I refuse to think that you can actually operate society when it snows. Um, <laughs> and so um, I didn't meet with my guys on Monday, but I met with them today, and so I kind of had my first day of class brain in the entire time. I um, wanted to make sure I had my class role set up, wanted to look through the introduction videos my guys turned in. Um, and so the impeachment stuff was kind of in, you know, the back of my head because I, we, we all kind of knew how the vote was going to go. Um, after I saw some of the photos of soldiers sleeping in the Capitol, I mean, that, that's the story to me, whether or not you have an impeachment vote or not. Right. So I just kind of talked to my students, introduced them, kind of the first day jitters getting out of the way. And then, um, and I had another meeting with uh, one of my thesis students, a uh, virtual meeting. And so I was just kind of in like the, like the teacher brain. Um, and then of course, like you mentioned, you know, I, just checked online. It's like, oh, James Harden got traded. And it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, by the way, yeah, we did have a historic moment of the second impeachment of a president during his term in office. And of course, in a lot of ways, you know, the the way priorities get flattened in this definite in this current moment where, you know, you can shrug your shoulders like what where, where impeachment becomes kind of just at the bottom of the ticker. Um, instead of it being the front page story everywhere, everywhere, you know, right. a lot of websites probably have James Harden above Donald Trump right now, because that's the real breaking news. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I had a kind of similar thing. Um, at least I was teacher adjacent today because uh, my wife, Tasha Coriel, also a uh, under review all-star. Um, mm -hmm. She had her first day today. So she teaches Monday, Wednesday, Friday to Tuesday, Thursday. And today was the first day of classes uh, here at University of Alabama uh, in Tuscaloosa. And, um, and so like she was, she was locked in. Um, so she was teaching and doing all that stuff. And she has a bunch of classes back to back. And so like, I just kept getting like news things. And I was like, oh, I need to like tell her, right? You know, keep her updated. 
in these moments, like the pauses between classes, um, you know, that she has. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty funny because I, I had a day where I was kind of out and about. Um, you know, I went for a run and then I, I went to, uh, to Big Lots, which is, you know, the place where you can get literally everything. Um, so I went to Big Lots and that was that was my day. Um, but then I decided um, that I wanted to make chicken wings today. Uh, and if you've made chicken Great wings, it's, like, it's a long process, right? right? So like, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, I wanted to eat. We had the podcast at six. I'm like, well, let's eat at like, we should eat at five. And so like, that means you got to like start heating the oil at three. So like all of this was going on, you know, I was massively deep frying things um, kind of as this information kept coming in and like checking my phone. And um, yeah, I saw the Woj bomb the second it happened. So that was, that was kind of a big thing. Uh, and then of course I missed the, the kind of final impeachment call, um, which I was, you know, again, totally fine with, cause I was trying to, you know, as most things with NBA trades, like something like big happens. And then three minutes later, here's like some clarification. And then like seven minutes later, here's more clarification. Um, right. So yeah, that was that was kind of my day today, uh, kind of noticing those, those two elements. But I think Jason's right in the fact that like, you know, we kind of know how impeachment goes. Like, you know, we've been okey-doked before by impeachment, mm -hmm. but who knows what happens when you throw James Harden into this <laughs> locker room. Uh, right. And that's, that's gonna be, that's interesting to me, right? So um, yeah. James Harden, Kyrie, COVID protocols, um, you know, that's the real emergency meeting for the NBA perhaps. Right. Right. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. wild. Just the rest of the season with the COVID protocols happening. And again, we're going to talk about this with college football too. It being like kind of apparent that this season shouldn't be taking place as it is. Um, but also just kind of impossible to uh, look away um, real quick before I keep going, Brian, I have to mention, I have not eaten dinner yet and I love chicken wings. So you are making me, crave crave some good deep fried wings uh like crazy um i'm not i sounds like i'm not nearly as good at uh making them myself as you are so i'll probably have to get takeout tonight but <laughs> someday when we can gather in person i don't know the next under review launch reading issue for like 10 whatever when we can be in person again i'll have to have some wings um yeah how do you think the harden Kyrie, kd dynamic is going to work at all and does this make them the favorites in the East now? And we, I mean, I think what's hanging over that dynamic is also Steve Nash. Um, as we yeah. talk about so much other stuff, because even with, I mean, with James Harden, they are a glossier team, but you take away Levert and Jared Allen, and I forget if they lost another player. I think they did. Um, are they necessarily better? I don't know. Um, and again, like this was a team that was, you know, hand, you have Steve Nash there and Kyrie was saying, you know, well, maybe we can just be coached by community and you have that going on. And it's like, you know, if this thing works out, of course, it's a genius move. Um, or if it works out, you are able to get, you know, three, if they're healthy, which is a, another thing, um, you know, you got three top 15 guys on a team you can figure that out. Um, so I think with that, I mean, with Harden and Kyrie and Durant, um, best case scenario, you know, it was fun to watch Miami. It was fun to watch Golden State. But also last year, it was kind of fun to watch the Clippers fall apart too. 
Um, exactly. And so, I, and so there's the, I think that's also the idea of like with like big, t- big threes or like, especially in basketball, there can be like, you put a team together and on paper, they look really great, but nobody's really afraid of them. And, you know, I mean, I guess we've, we saw that we've seen the blowups with Paul George where you look at Paul, Paul George's stat line is scary, but nobody's afraid of Paul George. He might beat you. He might score 30 points. He might be the best player on the court, but nobody's afraid of Paul George. Um, and so I think with the Nets, a lot of it's going to be, you know, James Harden, Kyrie, Kevin Durant. Like these names are big, but what does that look like on a team? And for James Harden, I think we still don't know if he's the greatest scorer of our time period, that's also a kind of an empty calories guy who can get you to the second round of the playoffs, or if he's just needed the right help. Yeah. I think it's, it's especially kind of this, this element of like, it is, it's like your fantasy basketball team, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're playing 2k, you put this team together and you're, you're doing great. Right. And I think, But of course, you know, we have so many dynamics. I think of like, you know, anytime you're getting the ball out of Katie's hands is like a bad idea. Um, You know, you want to run an offense through that guy. Like that's, that's, that's the dude. Um, And so if we're taking away shots from, even if you're giving them to James Harden, but like, you know, you're taking shots away from that guy just seems like a bad idea all around. Um, My favorite fact is I saw, like, I think it was, um, Sports Illustrated dropped like the the starting line. You're like your your potential starting lineup for for the Nets and uh, Jeff Green still you know, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Green man that guy Iron Man like seriously the dude like he I don't know I I want to see like the trajectory I want the 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 Jeff Green memoir like I I really yes. just like, that guy has been on like the weirdest collection of basketball players like right. in the world he was like a memphis you know he was on the celtics like you know that guy has been everywhere and i drafted just, to the sonics with kd yeah yeah and even before you talk about the heart condition um yeah right <laughs> and then every two or three years you get like a jeff green year where it's like oh he can still put up 13 points a game it's like, right. sure yeah. um and also as we talk about like his memoir he's also still probably like <laughs> He might be the youngest person in this conversation right now because that's the way time works. Um, right. Old beat up Jeff Green, you know. <laughs> um, I was listening to, I think I heard this on the Airbuds podcast. Uh, so it was at the beginning of the season when it was already apparent that Harden wound out of Houston. Uh, so naturally, Brooklyn was sort of the first big rumor. And I uh, forget which um, person on the pod told this joke, but it was like, what happens when it's a close game at the end and Steve Nash asks, uh, who's going to take the last shot? And Durant says, come on, it's obviously got to be me. And then Kyrie says, no, come on, it's got to be me because you could get the rebound better than anyone else can. And then Harden says, I already shot it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that kind of, I feel like that's going to be those three guys trying to fit together in those situations. So I'm, I think it's just for people who want to see fun NBA. I think it's a great trade. I think it's hilarious that it's the Nets who uh, dug themselves into a almost decade long hole with a similar uh, amount of draft picks in a past deal that obviously you weren't getting, you know, an MVP contender back then with that trade they made with Boston, but 
if any franchise is going to learn of packaging, you know, the maximum amount of draft picks isn't always a great idea. It's Brooklyn and they're just you know, doubling down on it. So it's definitely great for intrigue. I just think it's, it's so interesting you bring up Brooklyn. And again, this isn't like, I'm from New Jersey, right? So like, you know, I grew up with the Nets. Um, and so I find it interesting because like, I don't know, I feel like Brooklyn is, you know, that's that's the team that you fought. Like, I don't know how, how big their Brooklyn following is, right? Like, I don't know how many longtime suffering Brooklyn Nets fans there are, right? Like if you're like, even if you're a Jersey, New Jersey Nets, like no, like, People got in on on the, the Jason Kidd teams, the Kerry Kittles teams, things like that. But, you know, I don't know. Like, I want to know who's like the Nets, like super fan, right? Because if you're, if you've been riding with this team for, I don't know, more than 10 years, like, what what are you feeling today? Like the Kenny Anderson crowd, the Draza right. Petrovic crowd, right. you know? Yeah. This is the biggest big three since, you know, Kenny Anderson, Drazen Petrovic, Derek Coleman, maybe, you know, I, I think yeah. they got a season or two together. Um, but yeah, like the idea of like, and again, I mean, they brought back like the throwback jerseys to go back to like right. the, yeah. And it's like the biggest net story was, you know, perhaps the guy who could have been a franchise guy, Drazen Petrovic passes away and Jay-Z wanted to hang out with him for a few years. Like, and so even with like the suffering of the Brooklyn Nets, even when they weren't good, they were still fancy. Yeah. They had a Russian billionaire owner. Right. Jay-Z owned a 10th of a 10th of a percent of the team, right. but it still gave them that shine. Right. Um, and even now it's like, you know, they, they have some cool alternate jerseys. You know, they got the Coogee sweater Jersey a couple of years <laughs> back. They got the Basquiat jerseys and you know, even before they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie, you know, even with that horrific trade, you still didn't talk about Brooklyn the way you talk about the Knicks or the yeah. way you talk about the Kings, like these destitute organizations where, you know, Brooklyn just kind of like kind of a fake it till you make it thing. Like, you know, like like Brian was mentioning where, you know, they were able to kind of out New York, New York now. Like, oh, we're the, we're the most glamorous team in New York, but we've only yeah. been in New York for five minutes. Thank you for not including the Timberwolves in the list of destitute teams. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after this start, it's, you know, there's only so much Wolves fans can take. Um, <laughs> what was the first season the Nets were in Brooklyn? I don't know. I mean, that's, it's funny because Jason mentioned that. I was like, Man, I, I feel like it was just yesterday, but there's a good chance they've been there for like eight years. <laughs> yeah, I want to say, or, I mean, around when that trade happened is when the Brooklyn transition happened. Around when the Garnett trade happened. Right. Um, I mean, the internet exists. We can figure this out. Let's see. Um, yeah, I was right. It was 2012, 2013. So yeah, they were okay. there eight years. Yeah. And so that was, the, that was the right around or the year before they made that trade. Mm -hmm. Um to get Kevin Dar to get Garnett and Paul Pierce. Um, and so, yeah, so the minute they moved in, they moved in with two broken down stars and zero draft picks. <laughs> I think they had Gerald Wallace too. Um, oh, oh, all respect yeah. to Gerald Wallace. <laughs> yeah. Alabama basketball, all respect. Absolutely. Alabama sure. legend. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Alabama legends, um, it's been, it feels like, you know, a million things have happened since Monday night, but uh Crimson Tide, our kings of college football, once again, uh, just absolutely dismantling uh, 
Ohio State 52 to 24 in the national championship game. Um, I think the uh, video that sort of went viral after afterwards of Bama students in Tuscaloosa running out in the streets sort of is a good place to start. Because I think um, I've, I went to Oregon State, so my football team is the opposite of Alabama, but <laughs> it <laughs> captured the joy that I'm sure you guys felt. But also in this, you know, situation of just being like, God, come on, everybody. Um, and I obviously was happy um, as a college football fan to have the opportunity to watch college football this fall. But I could never, you know, watch a full game without even be acknowledging like this shouldn't be taking place right now. And like, am I complicit in this, even having this on my TV and even, you know, supporting um, this just truly dumb decision? So I don't know, what was uh, the season sort of like for both of you? And what was a uh, Monday night like um, watching a championship that maybe, you know, not as thrilled about as a uh, previous championship seasons? Well, I, I'll start because I know what Jason's going to say. So uh, I think, you know, for me, um, yeah, just very strange um you know especially like i uh you know i've been in that crowd you know in past years you know i i've been out on i've watched the games at those bars and i've, I've hit the there are pictures of me out there party and it's it's a great feeling um i think it's one of the feelings that alabama as a whole has sold students on uh the fact that you chances are if you come here for four years you're going to win a national championship that's not just like Saban talking to recruits right like right. that is you that's know the math yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, like that is on in our brochures um and so uh you know i think it's interesting so students of course wanted that moment like that's the moment it's like oh when we win the national championship you like rush the strip and it's awesome and it is it's a, it's an incredible feeling it's a, it's a it's a really cool thing um and so you know but it was so it's like one of those things you're just waiting for the whole week for me i'm like you know i was like alabama's gonna win this game um i was like and this is gonna happen right and i just had to like prepare myself for it and like anyone who was trying to tell themselves it wouldn't like was lying to themselves and that right. has been the number one thing for uh, this entire football season um, is that we've just been lying to ourselves about literally everything. Um, and, you know, cause it is convenient to us. And it's like, oh, well, this is, this is the thing, right? Like, and so, um, you know, it, it's been so interesting to me, especially like, you know, I, I essentially lost my Twitter account because I dared to mention COVID and college athletics in the same breath, right? Oh, was uh, that why it got suspended? I don't, I don't know, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty, I had a lot of like bad DMs and emails after talking about it. And so it seems like a very kind of um, likely thing. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think for me, like um, Liz Lenz had a moment, uh, who's a journalist out of Iowa, um, and she was like, anytime that we're talking about sports and not talking about the pandemic is like, a massive disservice to literally everything, right? Like, you know, the fact that we're just like, oh, we're normally talking about, oh, here's here's the box score of this game. Um, you know, this person did this, this person did that. Like, if we're reporting on these games as if they exist in, in a literal bubble, you know, not the NBA bubble, but like within this bubble. Um, and so like, it's it turned to the point where, you know, you can't even, God forbid, mention you know, COVID and sports in the same sentence or else people freak out. And I had this moment of kind of recognizing that this has always been the case, right? Like 
you can't mention sports and something else, right? Stick to sports, right? Or like sports and politics. Like people do not want to kind of mesh those two things together at all for whatever reason whatsoever. And I think people fight back greatly against that as we've seen with, you know, protests and Kaepernick and all, all of these things. So um, as a result of that, like, I think my own kind of guilt was, I knew that in the back of my head, I had to, I, I knew these things were linked, um, but in a, in a forward facing way or talking about Alabama football, whether it's online or with friends, like I had to separate the two things. Um, and I knew forward facing, right? I was doing that um, kind of to save my own, like save own ridicule from our insane fan base and other people. Um, so it, it was kind of an interesting kind of disconnect uh, for that. But in the same time, like in the back of my mind the entire time, it's like, what are you doing, right? Um, the one thing that I say, um, you know, that got me through it, I guess, is because I do teach a lot of the athletes. Um, and what I think, I forget who said it, it was Alex Kirshner maybe was like, follow the labor. Um, and so like that gave me a tiny bit of mission, I guess, was the fact that like these students did want to play. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're amateurs and not getting paid. They're going to say, yes, right. of course I want to play football. Um, they're not really, don't really have much of a, um, you know, a, a choice in the matter uh, for a multitude of reasons. So um, yeah, I was, it was a great team to watch. It was a wonderful, I had a lot of joy because like these kids sacrificed so much this year, more so than other years. But at the same time, you're like, why are we doing this, right? You know, there's all these brave stories of these, these kids persevering. Uh, and like going through a hard time and, and whatever, like not being able to see their families and, you know, winning national championship, they're like, wow, look at these brave students. And they're like, well, what, what like, why did we put them in that position, right? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I came at it from. Again, I was very happy we won because at the same time, I think like, especially as an Alabama fan, right? We, we expect to win. And like, if we didn't win, then all of a sudden, I think we'd feel more guilty. We'd be like, well, why did we play this season? Why we bother? We, I mean, that's been the Ohio State argument forever, right? It's like, well, we think we're going to win the national championship, so we want to play the season. And you know, if we were, I don't know, if we were Arkansas, I don't know if we'd want to play that. I don't know if it'd be as loud. Um, but I think just that kind of give us what you owe us, whether that is a championship or college football as a whole, um, that mentality really took over uh, this year, to say the least. Um, yeah. So, Jason. Yeah, um, I didn't watch this year, and that was weird. I mean, for me, um, I went to undergrad at University of Alabama. Um, you know, some of my most favorite moments, like I, I did my undergrad at Alabama. Uh, I taught there with Brian for, you know, eight years um, before I came here to University of North Alabama. Um, my, I'm here. I was at Alabama partial. I still say here sometimes about being at the University of Alabama. First year was 1992. Um, and so that was the year of like the Gene Stallings championship when they beat Miami. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Miami and Alabama are my two favorite college football teams, because they were the teams that were playing when I first started paying attention to college football, really, because I was like, oh, my sister goes to Alabama and I know I'm supposed to cheer for Alabama, but this other team, Miami, looks cool. So these are going to be my teams, you know. Um, that's kind of worked out, I guess. From on one level, just strictly from a football point of view and for sports, I have a weird hang up about fairness in sports. Um, like for me as a kid, 
I could never play with uneven teams. Like if we were doing a pickup basketball game and maybe we had seven people, like if the game was going to be three on four, even if it was the three best guys against maybe the four not so good guys, I really wasn't with it. Cause I was like, okay, this is a mismatch. Or, you know, if we picked teams and somehow or another, the teams just got out of whack. I'm like, okay, let's re after we run one game, let's repick teams. Like this just isn't fair. And so for me, the minute I started to see, well, here's going to be the protocol. And, you know, even if I wanted to watch as an escape and say, I'm going to see who's the best team, like we're seeing now at the NBA, you know, Philadelphia played with eight players the other day. And then there are like some teams that aren't being able to play because they've got. And so, you know, it's not, it's really a roulette to say, okay, who has enough people they can put on a field. Um, and so even for me learning who's the best, like I'm not learning who's the best team. Um, is it a surprise that the teams that were prepared, most prepared for this moment were Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State? Of course not. Um, and in somewhat, you know, in a perfect world, I'm sure, you know, Nick Saban, you know, would love it if we could keep some of these COVID protocols around. Um, and if that just meant the, he could just keep the players in one place and let them focus on football. Um, that's not a knock on Nick Saban. That's a knock on the college football system when it comes down to the idea, you know, they build a million dollar practice and team facilities. Um, and I don't know if you guys caught that with just the idea of on just a sports level. Again, I have a hang up about fairness. And so just from a competitive level, I didn't feel like I was going to, you know, I wasn't learning who the best team was. Right. I was learning, you know, who was lucky to not have their position group wiped out by COVID maybe. Um, and outside of that, also coming out of the summer, um, again, like after the death of George Floyd, we had our summer of Black Lives Matter protests. And a lot of every company on earth sent you an email or showed a commercial telling you that they were going to be committed to racial justice and getting things right. We had coaches walking with the football players. I think at the University of Alabama, they ended up going to Authorine Lucy Plaza. Um, Authorine Lucy, if we don't know, was the first black student who enrolled at the University of Alabama in 1956. Um, and she was basically harassed and run off of campus um, days later. There's the famous George Wallace moment at the schoolhouse door, but that's in 1963. And that's the successful integration with James Hood and Vivian Malone. Um, and so you had the University of Alabama players walking to this kind of sacred space on Alabama's campus. Um, and you had these other scenes happening with different football teams. Of course, you had um, Oklahoma State's coach Mike Gundy um, being kind of caught being a One America News fan and having to do this weird impromptu apology. Um, so and bad. Then you had all these different... <laughs> all these different scenes of having to do things. I mean, you had the Mississippi situation where um, you had a lot of organizers who had been pushing for the Mississippi state flag to be changed for years, but then eventually you had the sports teams that were able to latch onto that conversation. And you had two first year head coaches who realized that it would help to recruit in Mississippi if I'm on the right side of this issue. And all of a sudden, you know, Lane Kiffin, is for social justice now. Um, Mike Leach all of a sudden is for this, where, you know, 
Mike Leach should have probably lost his job when he put a kid in a closet when the when the kid had a concussion. Um, but you know, they realized, okay, this is what's going to be for the best. And so we had all these moments in the summer. And as we were doing this, of course, the conversation was whether or not we were going to play um, college sports. And while this conversation was happening, you know, you had the Pac-12 players who put out their list of demands. And one of those, they actually put out a list of demands about revenue sharing. And the Pac-12 very quickly said, we're not going to play in the fall. Uh, the Big Ten, their players put out a list of demands. The Big Ten said, we're not going to play in the fall. Um, you know, a lot of people talked about how it was, well, it was the Southern football tradition that made the SEC and ACC immediately say they were going to play. But it was also the fact that you didn't see a list of demands like that from SEC players. You didn't see a list of demands like that from ACC players. Um, and so once you saw that model... And then once I realized how we were going to move through with things, you know, I couldn't go from listening to every organization give me an empty statement about how Black Lives Matter to watching, like, and for me, like, I haven't watched any college sports since the pandemic. Um, of course, I see videos pop up. But to me, there are a couple of videos that kind of speak to it. Um, there was the Florida basketball player, Keontae Johnson, who, like, collapsed on the court. And I remember when the NBA started in the bubble, actually, like I remember taking a picture of the screen and I remember, like, and I put it on Instagram and I think my post said basically like, this is really weird, but I can't stop thinking about Reggie Lewis. And again, Brian's a Boston guy, so he might know this even more than I do, but Reggie Lewis was a Boston Celtics player in late eighties, early nineties, really talented player. Um, looked like he was going to be the guy to kind of carry him through the post Larry Bird era, maybe. And then he collapsed on the basketball court. And then days later, maybe a couple of weeks later, he ended up passing away. And I can remember that in my head. And like, this is like one of like, is it, cause that happened when I was maybe, what was it 93, Brian? I want to say it was 93. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I watched it. It was, like, it was in a game playoff game against Charlotte. It was the first game, the yeah. you know, and he had already scored. He had scored 12, 13 points, whatever, and then just like took three steps and just collapsed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And again, that, like that series is famous because uh, there's the Alonzo Mourning shot at the top of the key, and it's like the Hornets break through and beat the Boston Celtics. But really, it's but really it's famous because yeah, you ba we saw a guy begin to die on a basketball yeah. court, and like for me, I was just thinking, you know even just watching NBA players in the bubble, I don't know if these guys are healthy because again, there's still so many unknowns with the pandemic. And so then watching that Florida, because like when I, I saw scrolling through Twitter, a player collapsed and then eventually I saw one of the videos pop up and you like, you see that moment and it's like, okay, well, he was the SEC player of, he was the preseason player of the year. And now we don't know if he can play basketball again. There are a number of college football players with the same issue where they said basically based on their heart conditions now, we don't know if they're going to be able to get on the field again. Um, you had guys like Cecil Hurt who are kind of scoring points on Twitter saying, well, what happened to that heart condition everybody was talking about? Uh, it's still there. You can ask Keontae Johnson if you want to. Um, if you want to have a conversation about what you can ask the preseason player of the year in the league you cover about what happened to that heart condition. Um, so you had things like that. And then the other video um, 
they like from the championship game, even on Monday, I saw a couple of clips pop up about um, Devontae Smith doing ridiculous things. And again, like there's a part of me that hated, that hated I miss seeing Alabama players do great things. But then I also saw a video of like Jalen Waddle getting on the field. And Jalen Waddle, Alabama's talented receiver. Um, I know he broke his ankle. Was it the second or third game of the year, Brian? Early in the year. It was right? early, yeah. It was might have been fifth game, fourth, fifth game. Um, and breaks his ankle. And I hear I, I see these rumblings pop up. He's gonna be able to be in the championship game. And he's healthy enough to go play. And then I see this like 10 second Twitter video of him limping off the limping on the field. And as a part of me watching this and like saying, I can't feel good about watching this on top of, and of course the story as well, he felt he wants to be out there for his teammates. Um, even outside of a pandemic, you know, we know if, if Jalen Waddle can't run a four five forty at the combine, then this is the last time he's going to be on a football field with his teammate. We know. Um, again, for me as an Alabama football fan, you know, whenever I see a receiver with a leg injury, my head goes to Tyrone Prothrow um, when we saw like his injury in 2005. And he, you know, great Crimson Tide legend, of course, who could never play football again. But so for me, I couldn't watch this. Se- like I haven't been able to watch any college stuff which has kind of led me to a very narrow um, sports world. Um, like I can't watch any, like I gave up on the NFL. So I, I gave up on, I couldn't watch college football in this environment. Um, so since the pandemic, I've watched a good amount of NBA basketball, um, professional wrestling, um, and boxing and cage fighting. And so it, it's weird. Like, you know, I will never call Dana White one of the good guys um, when it comes to sports, but they're at least pro- like they're professionals. Um, and like Brian, you mentioned, you know, when it comes down to following the labor, you know, there were players who opted out, but there also there were players who wanted to be on the on the court, on the field. And, you know, and even, you know, for for people who if you've taught or you've tutored student athletes or for a lot of us just going to school with guys. And you know, okay, well, high school, they know this is going to be the last time they'll be able to play the sport. Or college, they know this will be the last time they'll be able to play the sport. Um, So we know what it means to them. Um, But we also know they are in a compromised position. Every sports league in the world can say there's no penalty if you opt out. But we can imagine the conversation coaches were having with players. And if it wasn't a coach... It might have been an assistant coach. It might have been a booster. It might have been a teammate um, about what happens if you sit out this season. And so you have that issue. Um, So I can only feel good watching professional stuff where, you know, as a professional, even if it's cage fighting, even if it's the most anti-union sports league in the world, the UFC, at least those guys are getting tested regularly. And some of those guys are saying, you know what, I'm not going to fight under these circumstances. So that, those are the only sports that I really feel good about now. Um, and even now at the NBA outside of the bubble, um, I mean, you see the train wreck happening in real time. And that train probably needs to pull into Orlando again, probably maybe after All-Star break, definitely by the time you make it to the playoffs, um, they're in the bubble again. 
unless something gets much better on the virus front or vaccine front. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, and what I thought, um, what was interesting for that, that Jason touched upon was, um, you know, we've equate the, the thing that drove me like that, the thing that caused me to, again, like I, I still watched, I was still in, um, still active on Twitter, but the thing that would cause me to turn off my phone or turn off the, you know, talk radio was equating COVID to toughness. That was every single time. That, that is the one thing that I just completely disconnected from because, you know, like we said, especially if like Jalen Waddle, he broke his ankle. Oh, look how tough this guy is, right? Look how tough he is to kind of leg this out to play for his team, so on and so forth. Uh, when we started equating like, getting COVID with toughness or the idea that like a team was ducking another team by claiming there was a COVID outbreak, which shows that they're soft. That was where I felt most um, like just shutting everything down and not, not wanting to deal with any of it. Um, because it is, it's one of those, you know, elements and, and we've lauded that forever, right? You know, we look at a guy who toughs a game out because he's a hero. He like, Oh, he, you know, tore his meniscus, but he's still playing. You know, he broke his finger, but he's still playing. Look at this guy, right? Um, Mamba mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. no, that's exactly I mean, that's like, it. Like, like, the, the, yeah, the famous Kobe Bryant, you know, he shot a free throw with a torn Achilles, you know? Um, yeah. You know, just that idea of like leaving it all on the court, leaving it all on the field. Right. And it's a metaphor until it's not a metaphor. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, that was, that was what was interesting. Like, you know, there's a couple of times, I think there's a Notre Dame running back who was like, I'm, I'm, willing to die out there to win this game. And it's like, man, not, not the metaphor because it's not a metaphor, right? You know, um, right. you know, they're gonna have to kill me to get off, get me off the field. It's like, well, okay, you know, that could be arranged, right? Like, and so um, that's, those are those elements of, of toughness. And that's what, above all, that's what turned me off, um, right. especially in regards to it being you know, again, amateurs not being paid, you know, uh, essentially kind of going through these motions. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of where I kind of came from it. Um, and those were, you know, whether it was making fun of a team for, you know, starting late. I mean, we all had a big laugh at the big 10, just kind of completely fumbling the bag multiple times over and just being kind of a disaster. Right. Um, but you know, when that, there are many reasons to criticize what they did. Uh, but when the, critis the criticism comes from like, oh, they're soft, right? Like that's, that's, those are those moments, especially being in, in the SEC, which we love to do that, right? We love to call ACC team, anyone who's not SEC, anyone who's not Alabama soft. And, and so that kind of language coupled with COVID, coupled with, you know, being preca taking precautions because there's a pandemic, um, those were those elements where I just felt kind of disgusted, right? And and at least, but at the same time, like, um, you know, unlike Jason, I don't have the resolve to kind of not look away, right? I, right. Again, I want to watch these things. These things bring me joy. Um, but yeah, those, those were those moments for sure. Right. And it's just hard to have that conversation around COVID because this, you know, idea of, you know, what toughness is and the picture of what a man is has been plaguing football forever. It's the same reason why, you know, concussions have been, and still are such a problem and rushing guys back when they, you know, really shouldn't play. And now we have so many guys getting, you know, just lifelong, you know, 
issues that they're going to have to be dealing with forever. And especially during a pandemic when it's like, like people are dying, it's not just, you know, a, a you know, ha hamstring issue or a, a knee injury. Um, so yeah, I know Dabo had some, you know, wild accusations of things like that too. And I was really disappointed in, in the big 10 and the PAC 12 as well, because it was like, like we're not playing and they like put their, you know, like drew a line in the sand that they weren't going to do it. But then like the SEC was doing it. And I don't know if they, you know, came through on the list of demands, Jason, that uh, they, they came that, through on zero. On zero, um, yeah. On one, on it comes down to the substantial ones. I mean, right. there were conversations about testing, um, but the pack for the Pac-12, there was conversations about revenue sharing. There was conversations about setting aside X amount of money for scholarships for minority students. Um, and none of these things would have been in some ways transformative. And in a lot of ways, it would have reflected, of course, the labor that this generates. And I think, you know, and even for me, you know, when we have, if we're lucky to have widespread vaccination and then, you know, if I sit down and watch college football next fall, like I don't deserve a merit badge. I'm still like, I'm still watching a lot of young people put themselves in danger to, for the betterment of universities and TV networks and college communities. And so, um, you know, if I, if I could draw a line in 2020, I could have drawn a line in 2019. I could have drawn a line in 2017. Um, it's just like, it just didn't sit right this year. Um, and so, I mean, like for me, as opposed to, um, and even when we talk about the idea of like even the financial part of it, I mean, one of the things this pandemic has kind of shown is, you know, there was the argument that like these colleges need this money. Um, and All like business. for me, yeah. right. Um, you know, I went from the University of Alabama to now I'm at the University of North Alabama, where we're at the different end of the football spectrum. Uh, the University of North Alabama just went division one a couple of years ago. And so we are the team that wants to end up on a non-conference schedule for the University of Alabama, because if they ever gave us a shot, we'd shock the world and beat them. I'm saying that because they give me paychecks now. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we, want, we just want our shot against an SEC team that might pay us a few dollars to take a shot at them. Um, and like, so you had schools like that where you have schools who you build part of your academic, your athletic budget around these paycheck games. And then you had some schools that couldn't afford to play, like a lot of the HBCU schools, where a lot of HBCUs are going to go basically a year and a half without sports um, because they can't afford to play. And then you have some schools that can't afford not to play. Um, because you've already baked in so much money based on the idea of having a basketball season, a football season, et cetera, et cetera. And also, but it also shows, of course, in like this sports environment, you know, um, I think Brian, you mentioned the, the advertising for the University of Alabama is, you know, if you come to Alabama, you're going to probably get to party on the strip during a national championship. Um, People love to talk about how much money Nick Saban and the players generate for the University of Alabama and Tuscaloosa. But also what this pandemic has shown is that those students who are out there in the strip are also very important to universities when it comes down to 
room and board tuition when it comes down to the idea of, you know, we always knew a five-star quarterback was worth X amount of money because you see them on Sports Illustrated, you see ESPN stories about them. But a student who pays tuition and room and board is also very valuable. And if that means we need to put on, if that means we need to have football games for them to go to, basketball games for them to go to, um, that's kind of the hard math that we're doing right now. And I call it hard math, not to let anybody off the hook, but because we know at a lot of, you know, public universities, a lot of private universities, we know if the funding's not coming from the students or if the funding's not coming from a TV network, the funding might not be coming. And so a lot of this was just kind of hard math to figure out, not just how to keep the sports train going, but in a lot of ways how to keep the college train going. Yeah. Once you look at how all these things are interconnected in different ways. Right. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. <clears throat> I work at a university that does, doesn't make a dime off of <laughs> athletics. Um, so just having, you know, a, a year where we had to say goodbye to a lot of, you know, colleagues getting, you know, laid off and a lot of, you know, colleagues getting furloughed and not offering the same amount of classes. It's definitely, you know, providing, not providing the students with the same service as, you know, in previous years. So um, I know schools that rely on, you know, that big athletic budget, that's definitely a, you know, hard, hard uh, decision, you know, to, to make, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be crazy to see, you know, what happens um, Cause I think this, you know, shook the college sports landscape for more than just till whenever we get a vaccine. All right. Well, <clears throat> I think we should move on to um, what I was most excited to chat uh, with you guys about um, uh, this evening. Uh, you have a co-written chat book called what shot did you ever take uh, about Rocky Balboa? Um, I think you guys both got on my radar for the first time I saw uh, Brian at an AWP reading that I just happened to be at, um, where it was mentioned that you uh, curated the anthology uh, "Enter Your Initials for Record Keeping," which I have right hey. here on NBA <laughs> Jam. Um, and I was, I heard, <laughs> you know, I was a long AWP day. I was exhausted, and then I just heard NBA Jam. And I totally perked up. Uh, and Jason, you have a, an essay in this as well. Um, so I would just love to hear, and I saw on Twitter, like I think when you guys were early in the beginning of this uh, project, that you were, were writing a chat book about Rocky Balboa. And I, I grew up loving the Rocky movies. Um, I like, I think Rocky Four is the best bad movie that's ever been made. Um, so I'm really excited to get my hands on this book. So um, I'd just love to hear from both of you sort of the, the genesis of, uh, of this book and um, how you guys came to work on it together. Yeah, um, I think I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I, I wanted to do, I don't, was it, I don't even know, was it National, it might've been National Poetry Month, Jason, was it? I, I don't even know what. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was National Poetry Month. Um, yeah, because you reached out um, and just with the idea of wanting to do something for National Poetry Month and like, I don't normally do it and I don't think you do it either, Brian. Um, <laughs> and so you reached out and it was like, okay, I, I never really tried it before. Um, and under the umbrella of let's write about Rocky, um, which of course is a very big umbrella. I'm sure we're going to talk plenty about that. Um, and so um, again, National Poetry Month, you know, the, the idea is to try to write a poem a day, to try to create as much process 
material as you can. Um, NaNoWriMo kind of gets more buzz because novels get more buzz, you know, National Novel Writing Month. Um, And so like Brian reached out and for me as a writer, maybe the good news or the, or the bad news, like I don't really have a set writing routine, you know? Um, And so it was, uh, it was interesting just to try it out, just to see, okay, are any new poems going to come out of this? Are are these going to be duds? Are we going to fizzle out? Even if we fizzle out, Brian's still going to be a friend. So there's no real pressure (laughs) just kind of approaching it that way. And we ended up with a book out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun because I think, um, you know, yeah, I had this idea and I was like, oh, you know, let's, I'll write some, some Rocky poems. This sounds like a good idea, a fun project um, because I've always worked well. I think what happens with, especially to anytime I do something experimental like that um, is usually I'm just, I'm writing and I'm just tired of writing the thing I've been writing. Um, so, you know, I, a lot of my books have just been like side projects to kind of distract me from the big project that I'm working on. Uh, and then the side nice. projects usually become like more fun or, you know, bigger, bigger deals than like <laughs> the massive thing I've been working on. Um, so yeah, it was kind of one of those things like, I'm going to start writing my rock. I was like, you know what, let me talk to like Jason about this. I think this could be pretty fun. Um, because I was like, well, I don't know how many poems I'm going to get done. Right. Like, you know, I think even from like a business standpoint, I was like, well, you know, no one wants to read 15 poems. People read 30 poems. I think we went up 24. I think we went 12 rounds. And so um, I was like, yeah, well, let me kind of reach out to Jason, I was like, hey, I think it was one of those things like, hey, I'm starting doing this, you know, if you want in, let's do it. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so we just kind of, you know, um, it was kind of pretty organic in the fact that we just, I just opened up like a Google document and, you know, I just kind of dropped the poems that I um, was writing in there. And, and for me, I think like, you know, maybe what Jason doesn't know is I just kept, uh, and it, it just, it makes good for a story, right? Cause I've, I, we haven't really talked about this book a lot, but um, you know, for me, like, Jason's the poet, like I'm not the poet. Um, and so I just said, you know, I want to write this Rocky book. I was like, I'm going to write some Jason McCall poems. Like I wanted to try <laughs> to write Jason McCall poems, you know, and I, I just had this moment and then it just got caught in the rockiness. I was like, well, you know, um, if that, that makes me Rocky and then makes Jason Apollo, right? Not just because I'm white and he's black, right? But like, you know, I had to, you know, Rocky three, he has to learn how to fight like a black man. He has to learn how to fight like Apollo to win. And I was like, well, how do I use like Jason? So I like would read Jason's poetry to kind of get into this rhythm of like, here's, here's what this, I want these poems to sound like, right? So um, for me, I don't know if I told Jason that before, but like, I was like, I'm trying to write Jason McCall poems, right? I'm trying to go punch <laughs> for punch with the best in the world. Um, and so that was kind of my mentality in terms of writing it. Um, and I think like, you know, it turned out really, really good. Cause I, I think I wrote like two or three, like kind of by myself and then Jason started to like drop a couple poems into the document. And so it was really cool because then we'd be able to kind of read what each other were working on and say, okay, here's where I want to go with this. Um, And I think I started off with just um, the first thing I did, I just came up with like a list of titles um, of just kind of like weird little quirks that I always thought about, Um, you know, and I think the first one I came up with was just sitting there. I was like, what, what did they do with all the Drago merch? Like that was the thing I just kept thinking about was like, you know, he had the massive Adidas deal, right? Like he was decked down. I was being a track jacket guy, I was always very envious. And I was like, where, what happened to it, right? And so that's kind of where the origin started um, and kind of little things here and there to kind of these like weird, trying to write the universe of Rocky to kind of continue it almost like a fan fiction type thing, but also thinking, okay, okay, what, 
what else kind of comes from this? Um, you know, what are the things that they didn't really quite mention? Um, and I guess, I think I was also really inspired just by like, I don't know, watching Creed. Cause like Creed's perfect. That's like a perfect film. Um, and at least to me. And I think because it kind of acknowledges the universe that Rocky's in for like the first time uh, and kind of creates this thing. Um, and, and for me, like, I was like, well, how do you kind of write, write that? How do you write like the creed of, of poetry? Um, and, you know, I, 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 the answer is I can't, but I can at least kind of try and kind of work my way through things and then write about this stuff. That means we got to get uh, Meek Mill on the soundtrack. And I mean, this Easily. is yeah. poetry. I mean, we'll you know. call him. I don't think he's busy. We'll call him. You know, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get, get a few, get a few bikes at the, um, at the opening reading, but um, <laughs> for us, cause he can, he can ride bikes again now that his case is cleaned up, you know, but, yeah, um, yeah. but, uh, but no, uh, for this, I mean, thinking about boxing, I mean, as we talk about sports, I mean, even, you know, like Brian joked, you like, like, you know, he's white on black and like, you know, and it's, now, I think in some cases, like, we're, I mean, with boxing in some ways, it's like there's kind of an honesty and kind of a straightforwardness to it where it's like we're just going to play off of American. We're just going to give Americans red meat. You know, I think of, um, you know, the like Floyd Mayweather, you know, when he went from being pretty, pretty boy Floyd Mayweather, the money Mayweather, you know, his he figured out his gimmick was just the he was going to fight a Mexican fighter on Cinco de Mayo or on Mexican Independence Weekend. And that's the easy storyline. It's going to be Floyd Mayweather versus whatever Mexican hero who's going to get embarrassed against Floyd Mayweather or who's just going to get outpointed against Floyd Mayweather. Um, even when Creed 2 came out, not as good as Creed 1, but that's a, that's a really high bar. A lot of people said, this is so unrealistic to have the son of Apollo fight the son of Drago. Do you, if you know anything about boxing, you would know. <laughs> any promoter on earth would have that. I mean, like, what is it? Um, Layla Ali fought Joe Frazier's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, the Sports Center ad for that. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, if you know anything about the fight game, this fight would have happened. Um, and I think with the Rocky, with the Rocky series, like, Rocky is kind of cartoonish because there's the training montage um there is the idea that he fights villains that become more and more and even calling them villains i'm going to put a pin in that and come back to it yeah um and even like you know i would say like you know for a movie if we count creed you got seven no you got eight movies and only one of them's really bad right rocky five and we talk about inspirations like you know i think the first poem i wrote for this project was titled like we need to talk about tommy gunn or it's like we we have to talk about tommy gunn and, yeah we need to talk about know, tommy gunn. yeah and part of that was a reference to of course tommy morrison who like died of hiv um and that move even when, when rocky marathons come on tv sometimes it's rocky one through four and then rocky balboa or rocky one two three four then creed or and sometimes like they'll just jump over rocky five and it's so, so it's hard to catch Rocky Five on TV because we've just decided, well, we don't. But that was the first time they kind of tried to do old Rocky in a lot of ways. And, you know, he ends up fighting Tommy Gunn in the street. And we have our kind of slick, fake Don King promoter and the robot babysitters in that one, too. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of like Rocky Universe stuff there, but we kind of just jump over it. And for like the Rocky series for like, you know, even though it's kind of become a punchline, um, 
how many series can you name with eight movies with only one clunker? Like, that's tough. You know, right. you think, you know, even you look at, you know, the Marvel, you know, the Star Wars movies, yeah. the Marvel, the Avengers universe, like, they aren't hidden seven out of eight. No, and not even close. No. Um, and even like, Terry, when you call it Rocky Four the best bad movie, <laughs> There's a is part it? of me that's a little. I don't know if it's bad. I know, like, I, I, this is what the robot babysitter was introduced in in Rocky Four. Yeah, and that was um, kind of like even <laughs> as a kid seeing it for the first time. Because when you're the first time I saw it, I would I would would have fought future Terry if I had learned that he would call it the best bad movie or just a bad <laughs> movie in general. Uh, but I feel like maybe the robot babysitter was the the jump the shark moment at least for like the Rocky movies. Um, but rewatching it now, I'm like, this is really just a bunch of montages. The montages are oh, yeah. awesome. Like high school basketball tryouts that week, I, <laughs> my uh, whole like playlist was just, you know, whatever, you know, like the you know rap songs of the moment and the Rocky Four soundtrack. Um, the, that was I th- great. I think, yeah, Vince DiCola, I believe is the name of the, yes. the, the composer. Yeah who wrote, composed the song War, which is just playing during the, the final match of uh, Rocky IV. And yeah, that- Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. <laughs> that should be on like every, you know, stadium mix in every sport. I don't, I don't know why it's No, um, and it's not like even like the inspirational stuff and even like looking at it, um, even like when I was like on the job market, when I was getting ready to do like campus interviews and I, w- I would watch Creed just kind of like on repeat, basically. Um, and so like we like the training montage, like it, it's corny, but it's also kind of this, like it's a cornerstone now. Like this idea of, you know, I got to get ready to fight the champ. I got to get ready for the big match. And if you look at like the early Rocky movies, like before it became like super roided up and glossy, like he's out there in like the bummy sweatshirt, mm-hmm. pounding on tires in a scrapyard. And it's just this idea of like the, and even when I mentioned like the idea of like saying villains, like one of the things that kind of to me makes Rocky work is that like there are no real, like they're the guys who he fights aren't really villains. Like there, there's nothing evil about Apollo. He's just the best in the world. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing evil about Clubber Lang. He just wants his shot the way Rocky wanted his shot. There's nothing evil about Drago. He, like he just, he's part of the Soviet machine um you know and then and that kind of and i think that's one of the reasons why it kind of works is like just this idea that you know there's the idea of like okay we're going to get in the ring and see who's the best and normally it's rocky unless he's fighting a black guy i'm racially obligated to point out that rocky (laughs) only loses to black guys in the films (laughs) and that's including rocky balboa by the way including mason the line mason Mason the line dixon um (laughs) which is a ridiculous name for a black fighter but or any fighter, but especially a black fighter. But, um, you know, and so for me approaching this project as a writer, it was like, well, you know, even like, you know, a lot of my work deals in different parts of pop culture, um, you know, and some, you know, whether it's writing about, you know, comic books, superheroes, and some of my earlier work um, that I still come back to some. I wrote one chat book that was strictly about the TV series Mad Men. Um, and so a lot of this stuff is kind of in the back of my head. Like I'm one of those people who always has a TV on in the background. Um, but even when it comes down to like approaching the subject matter and it's like, okay, well, to me, it's the perfect subject matter for a collaboration. Cause like Brian talked about this idea of, you know, reading my work and like trying to think of like writing like a Jason McCall poem. And like, he had never told me that, 
But I think I kind of approached it to where it's like, all right, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to get embarrassed writing poetry. Like like Brian's the like Brian's the nonfiction guy. You know, even though he does like lyric essays, but it's like okay, you know, it's like okay, I'm not I don't want I'm not going to get embarrassed on my home court. Like I might be, you know, if Brian. Hey, you know, if Brian writes some great work, it's not going to be, man, Brian should have just done this on his own. This should have been a solo project. <laughs> right. Like, you know, when you listen to a song and it's like, why did they have him featured on it? You know, I would, I just wanted another Brian Oliu verse for real. Um, <laughs> like that was my idea. Cause again, like, you know, and he mentions the side project, you know, I mean, this year, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, Brian's got his uh, book about wrestling coming out through university of North Carolina press. Um, and, you know, and like for you, we talk about the idea of like essay writing and of course, you know, the the line between a poem and an essay is a lot blurrier than a lot of people give it credit for. Absolutely. Once you talk about rhythm and pacing and urgency. Um, but and so for me, just kind of approaching it, it's like, all right, well, this is kind of the friendliest. This is kind of, it's like Rocky and Apollo at the end of Rocky three. Right. Like it's not like it's like a, a friendly challenge. You know, and it's like, all right, like, let's sit down and write poems. Or even, even for me, like, even as a writer, like, when I get invited to do a reading, like, I'm not going to be the worst reader. I'm not going to okay. be the piss break reader. Like, that's just, I'm not going to be the, they had one reader too many. Um, and that's just kind of the way I approach it. And it's not like I want to, I want somebody else to fail, but it's like, okay, well, if you're going to give me this room, I'm going to do something with it. And so... That to me was the thought. And again, like, even if we didn't really think about these poems going anywhere, because we know like part of the part, one of the things we ran into was that like, it's a collaboration project and a lot of publishers only want single authored projects. Um, it's kind of in that no man's land where it's a little big maybe for some chat books, but it's not quite full length. And like, once you start to put that in there and so even before I, we were like, and again, like, I don't think me and Brian ever talked about like, hey, let's write a book for publication. Right. It was just like, and you know, and, and again, luckily we're at a point to where, you know, we don't need to just try to get stats. Like, you know, you look at Brian's bio, he's doing fine. Luckily I'm doing fine. It was just the idea of, okay, like, is this going to be a fun project with a friend of mine who also likes Rocky who can vibe with this and you know and if it would have ended up in a google doc file it would have been another idea that ends up in a google doc file that we talk about you know on the weekends i come back to tuscaloosa when we're you know a little bit hung over the day after game day or something um and that would have been fine but it ended up being okay well we've got a project here and okay how do we manage this how do we organize it and you know and so we touched on just about every movie. We touched on every movie, Rocky one through five, and just good figuring out like, okay, how, we touch on it, we move through it, and then the hard part was, well, once you have a quality project, where does this belong? And you know, I was happy to see that the Hunger Press actually like took a took a chance on it to say this looks like a project that they want to publish and. You know, of course, publishing, like everything else, is not set in stone, but we're hoping, you know, summer 2021, um, we've got a real book to give to the world. That's so awesome. 
<clears throat> I love all that. I'm never going to be able to watch the training montage in Rocky three and not see Brian as Rocky <laughs> and Jason <laughs> as Apollo. Oh man. I I'm really looking forward to this, having uh, the Rocky movies as like my, my video companion piece for reading this book um, <laughs> when it comes out. Um, yeah. So you met Jason. It's so interesting. You mentioned that a lot of, you know, publishers uh, don't necessarily want, um, you know, collaborations and stuff. Did you guys run into any, roadblocks trying to trying to find a home for this um and did you were you taking it out and like uh, pitching it to people before it was done or did you wait until you had you know a good manuscript like you said you both went 12 rounds each um and then then took it to publishers or how did that work yeah um so i yeah i i just kind of we had the, the thing in hand um you know and i think there's there's a moment where you know, you, we, I have 12 poems, Jason, that's what we got our 24 poems, but it's like, well, how do we, if we want to think about this in terms of the manuscript, how do we do that, right? Which is always kind of, it's fun, right? Like, and at the same time, like, I didn't know if it was going anywhere. I didn't know if anyone was going to pick it up, but, you know, it's like, hey, how do we make this thing that we created that was kind of a project? How do you turn a project into a book, right? And so, like, that was one of the things that we kind of chatted a little bit about, like, okay, here's sequencing, here's how I think this goes, you know, to this poem here, this poem here. Um, so we, I, I didn't send it out to anybody, um, until that was done. Um, so, you know, we had mentioned, you know, as I do on Twitter every once in a while, I, I, I say it as a joke, but I've gotten a lot of publications that way where I'm just like, Hey, I got this essay would be really cool. If someone decided to publish it. Right. Like, and so like little things like that, you know, cause you never know. Um, so yeah, I just started kind of putting stuff together. Um, and you know, I, I started sending it to, you know, the, any chapbook competition, right? So if there was a chapbook competition, um, you know, if there was a call for chapbooks, um, anything along those lines. And, you know, J Jason's right in the fact that like some people don't really know collaboration that much. Um, and of course, you know, it's the poetry world, right? Someone hears Rocky, they have never watched Rocky before. They're like, what the hell are these poems? We don't care, right? Which is the problem, of course, like anytime you do anything self-referential, referencing, something pop culture or like a project that it relies so much on exterior text, uh, you're always gonna have people who are just like, well, I don't understand, I didn't watch Rocky, so no thank you. Um, so yeah, we kind of put together, we were finalists um, in one place um, for like an actual contest, which was really cool. And then The Hunger was great because um, I kind of reached out, they had a contest, um, and Erin Slaughter, who's an incredible writer, she's amazing. Um, she, uh, for a long time in, in Alabama, I ran kind of a, a small press um, through the university that also did a festival and then Jason helped out with the festival. Um, and Erin came to read um, and it was great and wonderful. So we've kind of like kept in touch and she um, is actually, it's great. She's actually at Florida State with a bunch of my former interns who like brought her in. So it kind of turned into this like kind of cool thing. Um, and so, you know, they had, I really love the stuff they were doing. Um, I gave a reading to them at AWP um, and they were like, oh, we have a chapbook contest. And I said kind of the joking thing. I was like, I was like, well, I don't want to send to the contest because I don't think that's fair, right? Like we know each other. There's, they, they had some joke. They were like, well, you know, if you're comfortable with having one of the editors like stay in your house, like don't submit to this. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm that, that's Aaron, the line. Aaron, yeah. Right. Aaron can stay in my guest bedroom. So I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> want to see this contest. Um, so I mentioned that to her and I was like, well, I have a book, you know, me and Jason have a book. 
um, if, if you're interested in taking a look at it. And she's like, yeah, send it over. So that's kind of how it happened, right? Kind of this, this nice moment of just like someone whose work that I really respect um, and, you know, that we've kind of become, you know, at least acquaintances and, and said, yeah, I would love to take a look at this and, um, you know, kind of included in their, um, you know, their, their catalog, which is really, really cool. I actually just got an email that the book that I did win the contest just got shipped my way. So I'm excited to kind of see kind of what it looks like um, and kind of envision what, what this book as object is going to be. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it came about, but you know, like anything else, I mean, I have at least a couple, you know, a couple dozen rejections, you know, of the book, um, you know, some kind, some just like, thanks, you know, got your money. Uh, maybe I got a book in exchange, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was kind of a, it was a pretty good, pro pr very straightforward writing, I think, submission process where, you know, a couple close guesses um, and then finally finding what seems to be like a really, really good home of somebody who kind of understands uh, the both of us as writers and kind of what we were trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. No, I think, and I think it's also perfect. Um, and like Brian mentioned, the idea of like, if you say Rocky, there's the idea that, you know, is this literary? And we know that's a dumb question. Um, <laughs> sorry, editors who rejected it because it wasn't literary. I called you dumb and I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> but it's like the idea of like, you know, we're on the under review podcast and we've got this idea right. of, you know, if we say, okay, we're going to do a creative writing journal dedicated to sports and there, you could hear that. And some people would think that's really reductive, but you know, you read half of a half of, you know, you, you get three pieces into the under review, no matter which issue we're talking about, one, two, or three, and you realize, okay, well, sports is a window into infinite number of places. Um, and so realizing that, again, all the stuff that we talked about when we were talking, whether it's talking about COVID, whether it's talking about how COVID relates to some of the interplays and the different communities and the different aspects of things, you know, seeing how sports is supposed to be the sacred object that we never put in context with anything else. Um, the sports is a hideaway for a lot of things. You know, sports is a memory for, you know, sports is a relate as a familiar relationship, community relationship, whatever it is, or sports is a traumatic relationship, whatever it is, you know. Um, and so even when we look at, you know, Rocky, which has become, you know, in a lot of ways kind of a sports cliche, but in a lot of ways, you know, it's Rocky in a lot of ways also created a lot of these sports cliches. Like again, like the train, like the training montage has to be in every superhero film now. You know, we have to see Spider-Man training to get his powers. We have to see, you know, Wonder Woman learning how to use her weapon of choice. We have to see Iron Man putting his suit together. You know, we have to see these different things, you know, and we have to see these different aspects of different things. And so, um, and I think for a lot of people realizing that, and also I think the chapbook format um for me is a kind of a place to experiment and i, I think a chat book's almost like mixtapes um and a lot of was like with me like where there's the idea of you know um and I, in some ways chat book jason mccall might be better than full length jason mccall like and so it's like like like, like mixtape wayne is better than like album lil wayne you know um like i'm like i'm fully aware that in some ways i feel like and i, I for a little while now like i there's like a cheryl crow interview didn't expect to get a Cheryl Crow reference, maybe, but you got one. Um, <laughs> <I love it. laughs> she did an interview a couple of years back and she talked about how like her latest album, she thought that was going to be like her last album because she was just interested in maybe just kind of having fun with singles. 
And she said, you know, now with streaming, a lot of people just take albums apart and make playlists anyway. So maybe I'll just record songs. And if people want to put them together into an album, they can do that. And that was her way of responding to how people kind of digest music without hating on digital music versus analog, whatever, whatever. And, you know, and there was a part of me that kind of thinks about it where it's just like, you know, um, of course, I've got a full length book, you know, that I'm chipping away at, but also... I think kind of working with chat book projects, working with kind of projects that start like this, like, like, Hey, let's write together and see what happens. There's more room for creativity because I'm not necessarily chasing, you know, is this a book project that one of the five poetry judges that judge everything will like? Um, I don't know which poetry, I don't know if, you know, Patricia Smith likes Rocky or not. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's the idea of like, I can do this. And I think this is a space to have fun with this project. And the publication is great. Like, I'm excited to get this project out. You know, I'm excited to work with the hunger press and to work with a press that believes in it. Um, But also, you know, I'm, you know, the fun at the beginning was, hey, I get to have fun with my friend. Yeah. And that's still the fun of this project when we talk about kind of, you know, what it look now that it's real and we can think about, well, what can a cover look like? What can a launch look like? What does this look like? You know, um, you know, we're friends now, but you know, do we need to fake a feud to sell tickets? Cause that's mm. the move, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and again, you know, I, and because I say it, we're going to fake it. It's going to be even juicier because people aren't going to know if we're still faking or not. Um, but, you know, there's all these different aspects of it. But like, but, and again, that's an opportunity that's not there if I'm sweating over whether or not poetry prize number one sure. is going to let me in because I wrote about Rocky. Right. I'm, I'm just picturing an incredible launch party that's like in, in a bookstore or something, but there's, you know, a mock uh, boxing ring that has been made up and you guys are going, you know, back and forth uh putting everything into this you know real or imagined feud that's uh you know drive driving book sales i've 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 definitely imagined it a couple times i mean (laughs) i was gonna say i think like uh you know i had a i had a beer of deontay weiler once so maybe i can just like slide into to sky gym (laughs) (laughs) run out the place you know i know the guy who's on the boxing commission maybe we can get a ring drop it in a parking lot someplace um you know yeah but no i think that's also part of the fun too is just saying like all right well here's this object let's sell let's celebrate this right like you know and that that's and it's always more fun to celebrate with someone you know that you've collaborated with it gets her a friend um and i think like yeah to be able to say hey this thing i think so many times you know you write a book and the book's over right like you know you've been working on this thing for a really long time and it's done right and and so i think but what I like about this is like, yeah, the book, hopefully it comes out and then, you know, we're able to kind of give it life and kind of have it, you know, have it a reason to celebrate, um, you know, just kind of the book itself, right. To have people enjoy it, you know, celebrate, you know, me and Jason just coming up with like ridiculous plans, you know, whether it's like having a, a Rocky four film screening or, or things along those lines. Um, you know, my, my wife, Tasha, just like crying in the crowd, um, you know, what, what do you do? Right. And so I think there's, um, so that's another aspect I'm like looking forward to, right? And the fact that like, 
you know, you could publication kind of gives you that opportunity a little bit. And I think that's, that's where a lot of the fun comes from. You know, you have the book as object, which is a great thing, but it's, it's fun to have the, the launch. It's fun to have, you know, the conversation, you know, like I said, with, with you, Terry, or, or just with anybody um, about this thing that you created and to be able to talk about it. And I think like, sometimes I think that's the stuff that kind of we lose a lot of times. Like I said, if Jason's talking like chasing the brass ring, right? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, the chapbook is what brings you the most joy or the side project is what brings you the most joy. Um, yeah, so no, there's, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, you know, I have big plans in my head. Let's say, let's say that uh, in terms of our kind of, you know, uh, our, our launch and, and kind of getting it to the world. For sure, yeah. That's, that's so great. And Jason, thank you so much for um, mentioning the fact that we're, we are on the Under Review podcast because this, when, when Brian, you were talking about, you know, people responding to, you know, whether they respond to Rocky or not, like, and whether it's like lowbrow or something, that's just like, every time I'm trying to pitch, you know, a sports literary journal uh, to people who, you know, may not be, you know, sports people and like might dismiss it as lowbrow you know that voice is in my head all the time <clears throat> when I still rue like people being like oh so what do you write about because <laughs> every single project is a sports project right now and normally you know people are like great and like even if they're not interested you know like polite or whatever but there have been a few like like what do you write about uh basketball and 90s music and it's like oh that sounds like fun i guess yeah and i'm like oh condescension towards sports writing cool <laughs> um so i yeah and i we obviously you know when megan and i first you know put this you know to the first steps in putting this together we weren't as much as we love you know great traditional sports like sports journalism that wasn't you know exactly what we're going for so um, we also have kicked around adding an under review chapbook contest, which is still in the beginning stages. I'm not sure when it'll happen, but I'm, I'm very jealous. We didn't exist to, to <laughs> make this chapbook the winner, but I'm, I'm really happy that it's, uh, going to be in the world, um, and can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, and also Jason, for the record, I do love Rocky four. <laughs> I, I, I just, I love, I love making fun of Rocky four. So calling it a great bad movie just feels no. natural to me. But <laughs> the beauty of Rocky is like, I mean, every every Rocky is hilarious in its own way. I mean, on right. top, like, you know, and that's like part of going in there with it where, you know, looking at, you know, I mean, you can't like watching any of those movies with a straight face. You're missing <laughs> a lot of the fun. So, you know, no, there's nothing wrong with that at all. For sure. Awesome. So you uh, I think you mentioned summer 2021. Do you guys know? uh I know no one knows when anything's happening to anything. So it sounds like a stupid question, but summer, summer ish is when we can expect this to summer ish. Yeah. Okay. As far as I know. Yes. Summer ish. <laughs> sounds good. Um, and Brian, do you, is that sort of the same for uh, uh body drop notes on fandom and pain and professional wrestling from uh, that's be, that'll be fall. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, that's been a really fun process too. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's that's part of the fall. That's uh, very official of the University Press, right? It's part of the fall catalog, quote unquote. Right. Um, so so yeah. fancy. I know, very fancy. I know, too fancy for me. Um, but I was just like, well, when when the books arrive, the books arrive. That's how I feel. I'll just like, you know, when the leaves change, I'll start uh, checking for UPS every day. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, well, I, I, I love the, I can't wait to read these books. I love this conversation. Um, something that Megan and I have also both talked about is we've seen a lot of great boxing and wrestling writing in in particular um because you know we 
try not to have, you know, the type of sport determine, you know, which gets accepted and which doesn't, we don't want to have all basketball pieces or whatever, but I think that's probably been the most, um, the biggest of the submission categories um, by sport, but there's been so much good boxing and wrestling stuff. And one of the first episodes of this podcast, I was uh, in conversation with Chris McCormick, his novel, the gimmicks is uh, sort of told through a professional wrestling lens, um, which obviously, you know, a lot of people, may look down on professional wrestling for, you know, a lot of, you know, dumb reasons too. Um, so it's just been really uh, refreshing um, and rewarding to see, you know, this much of, you know, like combat sport literature uh, in the world. So thank you guys for uh, adding another project uh, on top of that. All right. Well, we're at about an hour and a half. So we went over a bit. Um, so do you guys have any, anything else that uh, you want to promote any, any other books or projects? Um, I do actually, uh, I mentioned Excellent. chapbooks. Um, this is a two chapbook year for me. Oh, um, you know, um, Taylor Swift can put out two albums. You know, I can put out two chapbooks, you know. Um, what is it? Different animal, same beast. Is that what the kids say? <laughs> I, um, I, I think Taylor Swift, like when Brian said, I want to write uh, Jason McCall poems. I think Taylor Swift was saying, I'm, I'm recording Jason McCall songs on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for these two albums. But um, so, yeah, yeah, actually, um, I haven't, I haven't post, I just got the books in the mail. Um, so the book is oh, real. Um, uh, I've got a chat book that just came out from pork belly press. Um, it's called a man ain't nothing. Um, inspired by the legend of John Henry. Um, okay. and so, um, it's focuses on American work kind of, and how work intersects with, uh, masculinity and race and culture in America. And of course, dealing with John Henry, of course, there's the legend, there's the music attached to the legend. Um, I had a really great time working with them. I was really lucky enough to work with um, an artist from Alabama, Corey Patton. Uh, Brian knows Corey, um, who's from Tuscaloosa. He was actually, uh, he did the cover for me. So uh, I'm going to put that up. And then, um, you know, I know I'm lucky to be able to write because I had a creative writing class in junior high. And I know a lot of people don't have access to creative writing classes. Um, a lot of my students at the university that's their first creative writing class. So uh, I'm going to be encouraging people to donate to a couple of Alabama arts foundations um, through advertising that book. Awesome. For sure. Uh, we'll, we will for sure drop, drop a link to um, contribute and to, to order that in, uh, in the show notes and on our, uh, on social as well. All right. Well, thank you uh, both again for, for taking the time. Um, this was uh, a lot of fun and, Really looking forward to the Rocky book <laughs> and, and also hopefully looking forward to a time where we can uh, see each other in person at, at a launch at a boxing gym or <laughs> a festival or <laughs> any kind of place uh, that's, you know, not on Zoom, um, you know, for the, for the love of God, please. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again to Jason McCall and Brian Oliu for joining me today on With the Call. If you can please help support the show by subscribing and giving us a five-star review, that would be great. If you want to donate directly to the Underreview, that, that's cool too. You can do so at underreviewlit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out this year's winter issue, which pubbed in early December and is an absolute banger. I'm so happy with how that one turned out. Um, we've got more episodes coming your way right here on the same feed, um, as well as some fun announcements for upcoming virtual events. Uh, submissions opening back up soon uh, so we'll be on the lookout for that 
and one more big secret project we're working on here at a under review hq which is you know really just our respective writing desks that are shoved into corners of our, our houses <laughs> uh, that's coming soon as well really looking forward to it lots of good stuff on the horizon thank you again dear listener for being here and we'll see you next time